Hello, welcome to People Who Are Politicians. I'm your host, Matthew Antonelli, and today's episode features Jonathan Shree, the councillor for the Gabba Ward in Brisbane City Council. He's also a member of the Greens Party. So if you don't know where the Gabba Ward is, it's sort of South Brisbane-ish, um, not far from the centre of town. So it's like uh, Kangaroo Point and Woolongabba, obviously, and West End, so all those cool places. Um, but some very vibrant areas, lots of things happening, lots of things going on, lots of things to check out. So it was really cool to go to his electorate, or his ward office, I should say, and catch up with him. And uh, definitely um, what I've learned from this podcast is each councillor or MP likes to redesign their ward or electorate office in in a way that um, shows what they value in their community and um, Jonathan's ward office is definitely um, quite unique has lots of posters around for the things that he's passionate about and um, he was really friendly it was really cool to catch up and uh, yeah and in in other news um, just to keep you updated on how things are going with the podcast I'm going to be catching up with Graham Parrott the federal member for Morton this coming week and then the next week the Lord Mayor himself Graham Quirk so some really cool guests coming up I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to People Who Are Politicians. I'm your host, Matt Antonelli, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Shree, the councillor for the Gabba Ward in Brisbane City Council. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, So I like to, I'm I'm trying to figure out uh, how to introduce people. So I'm trying to pick out first that you have done. So yours is very easy because you're the first Greens councillor. Mm. You're the second Green on this show. Yeah. You're the first Greens councillor. Um, and you've been the councillor for Gabba Ward since April 2016. So before that, um, what were you doing? So so um, I'm 30 now. And so I've, I guess I only had like a few years of adulthood before getting into <laughs> politics, but I, I came out of uni, went to law school, did law arts, um, and then had a, a couple of different short jobs. So I, I worked in remote Aboriginal communities up in the Northern Territory. I did a bit of work as a youth worker up there, and then later I did a bit of work in cross-cultural mediation, so kind of dispute resolution and facilitation between Aboriginal people and non-Indigenous institutions like the police or the council. I also had a couple of months working as a, like a house parent for refugees. So that was a program where children come over by boat without their parents. And my partner and I were, were sort of full-time paid carers for four teenage boys, which is a big and intense experience um, that I learned a lot from in a short space of time. But then the organisation we were working for cut funding and fired us all unceremoniously really quickly. Oh, so. Classic story of the problem of privatisation and border security and all that sort of stuff. But I guess a lot of my time over the past few years has been taken up with unpaid non-profit community organising, events organising, and and then also a bit of playing music and writing. Cool. So that um, youth work and um, working with refugees, is that something that drove you into certain... um policy areas that you became interested in as you decide to run or yeah so i i've had an interest in both aboriginal politics and also refugee rights for quite a while and i guess more generally in anti-racism politics and 
for pushing back against systemic racism in its various forms. And so I think that's those jobs definitely politicized me more where I where they reaffirmed for me the fact that a lot of the frontline community work we do, whether it's up in remote Aboriginal communities or here in Brisbane, you're often patching the cracks in a broken system and it's not like that that work is incredibly value and valuable and important but we also need to be pushing for structural and systemic change and so that's probably what drew me more towards electoral politics and party politics whereas realizing that it wasn't enough just to be a frontline services social worker or a frontline community campaigner we also need to be influencing existing systems of power and but more generally at the local level the thing that really galvanized me to take an interest in local politics was i guess gentrification and all the issues that are bound up in that so concerns about sustainable development and concrete canyons and all the trees getting cut down but also housing affordability and the fact that for a lot of us who've been living around the inner south side for a few years life was okay we had like reasonably cheap rent and we spent a lot of time playing music and socializing and get involved with community projects and then suddenly rent started rising and we were all getting priced out of our community and the community was fracturing and fragmenting and so that experience of rapid churn and displacement of renters really politicized me a lot around urban planning and and local government issues. Yeah so um, was there a particular reason why um, because you mentioned getting involved in party politics is there a particular reason why you ran with the Greens party? Is it do they align with uh, do they value those policy areas that you have that you value? As yeah, well? definitely. So one one of I've I've always been quite I guess progressive or left leaning in in my politics, and I kind of gave up on the part, Labor Party a long long time ago, particularly on refugee rights. That was kind of the, that and the anti intervention, the Labor Party support for the anti intervention. That was sort of those were two tipping point issues for me. Um, but I guess really I ended up in in the Greens because they were sort of the only serious left-wing political force left in Australia. Um, But in particular, one thing that really speaks to me about the party's values is this idea of grassroots participatory democracy, and that's often a... There's an ongoing tension around that even within the Greens of exactly what does that mean in practice and how can we give people more of a meaningful say in government decisions when we only have so much time to make the decisions. Um, But, yeah, that, I think, philosophy is something that's informed a lot of what I do at the local level, this idea of giving people more of a say over their local community. And when you start campaigning, was that, uh, is it a daunting task coming in as um, a Greens uh, candidate campaigning? Because um, even at council level, it's normally dominated by Liberal or Labor parties. Mm. Is there, um, when you start a campaign, was that an obvious struggle um, to get time to... Um, on like local radio and mm. shows and things to get your voice heard at the top of those two major parties? Yeah, we've had a lot of big barriers to break through and it's interesting to reflect even comparing, say, the recent state election campaign to my local council campaign but also to when I ran as a state candidate in 2015 which was a really short election period and was kind of a bit of a practice run where they called the election in with a month's notice. But... Yeah. Um, <laughs> We really, really struggled to get any media coverage or mainstream attention a few years ago. But since breaking through at the local council level, suddenly the media takes us more seriously, ordinary voters take us more seriously, and it's been a lot easier to get our message across. So that's been a huge uphill battle. Um, 
And it's only when you look back and remember how hard it was a couple of years ago compared to now where we can call up journalists and they might actually cover what we want to say. <laughs> I did see, I think you are on Sunrise not that long ago either. So mm. I don't think that's something that... I think it was the Today Show, but oh, yeah, Today Show, yeah, yes. yeah, big, well, big yeah. changes where, so. and and in general, the idea that a local councillor is worthy of statewide and occasionally even national media coverage, I think, is a big shift. Where, yeah, um, yeah, I don't think that that happens very often necessarily. And uh, since getting elected, um, what have been some focuses for you in particular the the Gap Award itself? So, what are some areas that need to be worked on? that you are focused on? So homelessness and housing affordability is the one that immediately springs to mind. Um, It's a difficult area though because it involves policy change at multiple levels of government and the levers that are available at the local council level are sometimes a bit limited, but particularly in terms of pushing for um, more affordable housing, community housing, public housing, etc., and pushing back against this idea that rapidly increasing the supply of private apartments is economically sustainable and in society's long-term interests so that's been a kind of a big discursive battle we've been fighting and then on the sides of that i guess pushing back at particular development projects that have been completely unsustainable and poorly thought out but related to that is are those sort of other sustainable design or sustainable development goals like making sure there's enough public green space making sure we could have good active transport and public transport and obviously i've been pretty vocal about things like bike lanes um but it all feeds into that broader picture of needing to completely rethink the way our city develops. So whereas maybe some city councillors have like one or two pet issues and they focus very strongly on whatever that might be, um, for me, I, I think my core point or purpose is to radically reframe the entire way we think about urban development in Brisbane and, and really push for some more radical ideas to become mainstream. And do you think... Um when you are in council, working with other councillors, that they are open to those sorts of ideas? Do you think you're making inroads on those policy areas? Or? Yeah, and it's it's really varied and sometimes hard to predict. For example, the stuff around the pushing for phasing out of plastic water bottles and plastic straws. Like For a while, it seemed like the Liberals were just very closed off to that idea at all and, and then flips due to public pressure. Um, but even in spaces like um, funding for, for bike lanes and um, rethinking how we use roads in the inner city, I do find I get a bit of um, support in some of those areas and that, like, there is an appetite for change, a limited appetite for change there. Um, the harder thing has definitely been pushing back against private development. Um, but what I'm starting to see now is that even there, the council is shifting in a big way because they're realising that it's not just Jono who's annoyed, it's half the city. And yeah. so there's been a big political backlash that it's taken the LNP at least two years to sort of really realise and understand that. But now I'm seeing them change their messaging in a big way in response to those concerns about rampant overdevelopment. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where all that all leads to. So in the um, the two, two years, say now, mm. or just over two yeah. years since you got elected, um, what have been some challenges that you found since getting elected? Whether it be trying to get those policy areas um, across, or just working with other councils, mm. or being in council chambers, like what have been some challenges for you? One of the biggest challenges and frustrations is definitely sort of adversarialism and this strong tendency to toe the party line. So the floor of council chambers is not a place of rational and respectful debate and discussion of ideas. 
what tends to happen is that tricky questions and decisions are made behind closed doors by a core group within the LNP and then they have the unqualified support of the backbench LNP councillors and anything they raise or vote or push forward will just get voted through automatically and if Labor or myself or the independent councillor Nicole raises an issue or an alternative suggestion or approach it's pretty much always just voted down unceremoniously sometimes they don't even bother debating us because they have such a big majority that it doesn't yeah. really matter what we say because it's 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 19 5 one, one and one, one. yeah <laughs> so very unbalanced council um and that does show through in terms of how they make decisions and how concerned they are about being transparent and accountable but i think that's been my biggest frustration is that often i'll come to the table with genuine suggestions and like an openness to collaborate but because i'm a greenie they just don't want to work with me Mm. but then what i have found behind the scenes is that you can get a lot lot done just working constructively with individual public servants within council and so picking up the phone and talking to people in the bureaucracy and raising ideas and asking questions has actually been really productive but i think that the other big challenge i've struggled with is just this being in a position where a lot of the ideas and suggestions I'm pushing for are contingent on other changes as well. So, um, you know, I might be arguing that we need to shift more towards an active transport system and away from dependence on private vehicles. And that requires a whole bunch of things to change at the same time. You need more investment in public transport. You need to take away street parking for bike lanes. You need to trans- change speed limits, etc., etc. Yeah, You can't do all of those things at once. And sometimes you can only get support for one or two of those things. And so there's a problem of not having enough political power to, to make all the changes you want at once. And that means that the, the minor incremental changes you want to make aren't making much difference. So yeah, yeah. it's been a tricky one. But. So just where you were speaking about the, the big majority that the LNP has, because um, Michael brought up that um, that point of view in at state parliament because even though the Labour Party only has a very small majority mm. of one yeah. um, they still have the majority mm. um, do you think that we'll eventually shift to the point where there'll be like multi-party coalition governments instead so that you've got a range of points of view in government yeah that, that's been the general trend across most um, western democracies is that two-party systems don't last forever and I think what we'll see going into the future is that it'll be harder and harder for any one party to have an outright majority particularly at the state level but also at council Um, I think what's likely in the future is that the Greens will pick up a few seats Liberals and Labor will lose a couple of seats and um, we'll I think things will be a bit more balanced which will probably be for the best but perhaps the more interesting question is not necessarily which party has the majority or does any party have the majority, but whether decisions are debated and made in the public realm or whether each party is arriving at its position in private. Because, so for example, the Greens could end up with the balance of power in council and we could go away behind closed doors and the three or four Greens councillors could yeah. talk amongst ourselves about what our position is and then come to the council chamber as a united bloc. Yeah. Or we could just come to the council chamber and then just debate and discuss openly to the point where on the floor of council, Greens councillors might be disagreeing with each other publicly, which is a very unusual thing to see in our political system because the general expectation is that Labor and Liberal councillors will never publicly question or criticise the party line. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's not just about where the balance of power sits, but 
whether decisions are debated publicly or privately. And then how do you get the public kind of interested in that, that in that aspect? Like, how do you... I guess this comes to a question mm. of even you as a councillor now, how do you engage with the constituents in your ward? How do you go about that? Yeah, I think public communication is probably one of the biggest challenges for local councillors, and particularly in Brisbane, where we only have one councillor for roughly 50,000 residents. Um, so there's a like this idea, they're not, we're not really localised councillors in the true sense of the term. We have very big constituencies, so we don't have time to meet with everyone directly, which means that you have to have a fairly diverse strategy of doing public meetings and sending out regular emails and also being good at social media and also getting mainstream media coverage through stunts or what have you and having a whole different range of tools in order to reach different sectors of the people population you represent um and i think i'm slowly learning to get better at at innovating and and trying to engage all those different mechanisms but i think that's probably the problem that a lot of councillors struggle with is just that they're debating this stuff in city hall and no one even knows what they've been talking about but i mean the other simple thing is that right now brisbane city council is one of the only councils where you're not allowed to film and there's no video minutes of meetings. So, for example, the Gold Coast Council, Redlands Council, they live stream all their council meetings and you can just go online and watch the videos, whereas Brisbane doesn't. Um, And that's something that the LNP have been quite resistant to changing. So if we could have public filming of council meetings, that would make it a lot easier to communicate with residents because you'd just be able to show them excerpts of your speeches and excerpts of the debate and produce video content that's engaging rather than just long Facebook posts saying, here's what we talked about in council. Yeah. Um, Coming to highlights now, what have been some um, highlights for you having worked for two years? So whether it be a a policy that you've been working really hard to get through council or just some change you've managed to happen in this board, what are some highlights for you? I think the, the biggest shifts for me have all been discursive in terms of successfully changing the way a lot of people think about local government and urban planning and those sorts of issues. It's, a, I guess, a consciousness-raising project where, obviously, as a lone councillor, I can't unilaterally change the way the city functions. Or, um, But what I can do and have been able to do is change the way a lot of people think about the city and think about the future of the city. Um, more specifically and locally, I'm also just really proud of how much support we've been able to put into local community events and projects whereas some of the councillors spend a big chunk of their office budget on newsletters and and printing we spend our budget on like PA systems and projectors and equipment that we then loan out to community groups and that's I think enabled a lot more stuff to get off off the ground and I see a lot of events going on that maybe wouldn't happen without our support or wouldn't happen in the same way so I'm really proud of that as well but also I've, I've just really enjoyed all the small tactical interventions like pop-up street parties and and protests and painting footbaths with rainbows and installing pianos in the park, like those sorts of little interventions that remind people that a different kind of city is possible. I'm I'm really proud of those, even though they're only small things. And uh, coming to like thinking of all policy that happens within council, Mm. do you have a particular philosophy or criteria that... Um, you use to decide whether you vote for a policy. So, mm. Yeah, yeah. So the like the Greens have their four pillars of peace and nonviolence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, I think I go a little bit beyond that, and I'm really enjoying reading a bit of stuff 
about ecological democracy, which is coming out of the Green Institute and a, a writer named Tim Hollow. And I, I think some of the core principles there that I, I try to be guided by are this idea of defending and embracing the commons. So encouraging the shared use and shared democratic control of public spaces and resisting the privatisation of those spaces, but then extending that principle to other spheres of decision-making. Um, so as much as possible, encouraging people to make decisions collectively rather than just um, everyone argues with each other and whoever's in power picks the winner. Yeah. Um, and related to that is this idea of subsidiarity where decisions should be made at the most local level possible. So I always, when I'm sort of deciding what I think about an issue, I try to give as much weight as possible to the views of local residents because I tend to think they often know better than the so-called experts um, and particularly on issues like traffic planning the traffic engineers are very obsessed with traffic flow and how fast cars can move through an area but that's not the only variable that should be considered so that that core principle of giving residents more of a say and encouraging collective decision making rather than everyone just arguing for their own individual interests I think has been a big shift for me and a big focus cool uh, and uh, coming back to just this ward um, what have you learned about the Gabba since being a councillor? Like, was there something you didn't know before running that you've come to learn about it or, yeah? One of the big learnings for me, which I've maybe took for, I've kind of lost sight of it a little bit, but it was, it really blew my mind when I first started up as a councillor to realise how many um, small community groups were operating that I wasn't aware of. Like, I had a fair sense of, like, a lot of the activist stuff and a lot of the countercultural things, but then, like, discovering like going down to the Russian center and and seeing like community events singing like 1920s folk, Russian folk songs and then um, yeah it, even though a lot of those migrant communities have been priced out and don't live in the Gabba ward in the same numbers or proportions that they used to this area is still a big cultural hub for a lot of those groups they might not live here but their community center is still here or their church is still here and so um, yeah, seeing how much of that stuff is going on has been really cool. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, and for people who, are, who live in Brisbane or are visiting Brisbane, are there particular, you mentioned those community groups, but are mm. there particular things that people should come to the Gab Ward to check out? Yeah, so obviously Gab Ward's a really busy and vibrant area. We've got South Bank Parklands, which is a huge tourist destination. We've got a bunch of art galleries and theatres and then the Gabba Sports Stadium. So there are all these big draw cards that bring people in from across the city and across the world. But what we also have that maybe sets this ward aside from most of the other parts of Brisbane is a really strong and diverse ecosystem of countercultural movements and communities. So it's not just like hippies and environmentalists, but like literally every sort of activist group or um countercultural movement has a strong presence or home in the Gabba Ward and not just in West End as well like there are big um, punk scenes and hip-hop scenes that are bubbling out of Woolen Gabba and like it's just a really it's a place where um, where unconventional ideas meet and mingle and challenge each other and so I think that's probably one of the things that I'm, I'm really proud of and excited about in terms of this area is just that it's a place where alternative ideas can be raised and embraced and taken seriously. 
and there's so many like small artist run art galleries and that sort of stuff yeah. um but or, or any uh upcoming events yeah, well, so something that uh, that we've been spending a lot of time on is this renters' rights campaign, and I've been supporting the Brisbane Renters Alliance, who are pushing for rent controls and greater tenant security. And we've got a big launch party coming up on Saturday, the thirtieth of June, at Kurilpa Hall on Boundary Street in West End. So that's the Brisbane Renters Alliance campaign launch party, and that's going to be a huge party that will have a few bands playing. One of my bands, The Moldy Lovers, is playing. Another band called Kurilpa Reach. There's going to be a lot of people there and that'll be a really good discussion about what the future of renting is in a city where more and more people are going to be renters for life. And uh, just finally, because I don't, I don't want to take up your whole life. No, you're right. <laughs> but uh, in terms of the legacy that you'd like to leave behind the area, so uh, when you hopefully decide mm. to leave and not get voted out or anything... Um, once you've left the Gabba Ward, how, what kind of legacy would you like to have left behind here, whether it's just in the ward itself or Brisbane as a whole? I hope I, am, I hope I leave people with the idea that different worlds are possible and different ways of organising society are possible and different um, ideas are not necessarily crazy. They're actually also viable and practical. Um, I want people to continually challenge the status quo and to realize that just because something is the way it is doesn't mean it has to stay that way or doesn't mean it's always been that way and yeah hopefully hopefully that's i mean that's already a strong strongly held view in some parts of my electorate but hopefully that filters out throughout the city cool well thank you very much for talking with me thanks yeah good to chat 